Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, uh, where we will be, in our new release, main review, reviewing the Alan Partridge movie, Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Uh, first, we have got all our usual bits and pieces, which includes what we've been watching um, and everything that we usually do for you. I'm Steve Norman, and uh, knowing me, Steve Norman, knowing you, James Diamond, aha, Ah, oh, Steve. <laughs> knowing me, Steve Norman. Knowing you, you Jerry McCauley. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha, uh-huh, Steve. Aha. Uh-huh. And knowing me, Steve Norman. Knowing you, Owen Hughes. Aha. Aha. Oh, that's one out of That was nicely done. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> there we go. I don't know where we go from here, really. No, only ways down. Yes, the only way is definitely down. Uh, Shall we start off with the news then? Yeah, um, not a huge amount of news. There's like trailers and stuff like that out, but you can all find that yourself. One thing that did uh, I came across this week uh, was an interview in the Guardian with Rennie Harlan, uh, who directed Die Hard Two, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and Steve's old favourite, Cutthroat Island. Um, Brilliant film. He's he is the most successful Finnish director in history. And um, as well as being about to start his edit on uh, Hercules, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson out next year, which is a Hercules origin story, obviously, uh, what did come out of this interview, very, very kind of briefly, is the fact that he's also just finished working on another film about the Dyatlov Pass incident. Now, oh. anyone out... Yes, yeah, anyone out there who's kind of gone across Wikipedia looking at weird, creepy stories that make you not want to sleep at night, this is one of those classic stories. And I'm kind of annoyed that none of us picked up on it for our triple bill last year when we did True Love Stories we'd like to see a film made out of, because this is one of them. Those of you who don't know, um, it happened in the Russian Urals, uh, in 1959, it's an incident where nine, ex- I'm, I'm reading it directly from the article here, uh, nine experienced Russian skiers died of inexplicable causes. They got lost in a blizzard and were found days later. Some were naked and barefoot. Others had crushed skulls, uh, broken bones. One had, his, one had his tongue cut out, though not a single body showed signs of trauma or struggle. Um, Apparently, the movie is deploying found footage or recreations thereof in the style of the Blair Witch Project. Rennie Harlan said, it's such a weird story, one of those great unsolved mysteries of our time. Um, there are crime scene photographs, reports, maps, drawings. If you go onto the web, you can pretty much track down every available piece of information. Um, but he says, after all that, scientists have tried to work it out uh, very intelligently and seriously. 
Uh, there are only guesses and no theories that make any sense. Uh, and he's done a film of that. So I'm, for a start, I'm just really pleased that someone's made a film of that because that's one of those weird web stories that's always lodged in my brain. Uh, so I'm sure it's going to be interesting to see what theories he does come up with in the film. I'm sure we've talked about that. It might have been off air though. I, mm, I think yeah, I don't think I don't think we've spoke about it on the podcast, but yeah, it's it's one of those stories, and just I'm just really Wikipedia pleased that someone's making it. It's, it's by far the best Wikipedia page around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But James, you don't like found footage films, so. Um, uh, yeah, but if it's done in the style of a documentary, then it's if it's recreations in the style of a documentary, that's fine. I, I'll tell you, I've got my very, very p- particular rules about that. I don't mind found footage when it's done in the form of a documentary. There you go. We've, just to just to completely clear that up once and for all. Okay, is that it for news? That's it for news. Yeah, there's some stuff out there. Go find it. There's Google. Oh, come on. BBC.co.uk/news. Yeah, that, that'll do. There you go. Quiz time, then. I always forget the scores. I think James is winning this. Yeah, still. But Jerry's catching up, I think. I think it's 5-3-2 now. Yeah, but it's not going well for me recently. I had a bit of a burst, and then it's gone downhill again. Yeah, so, quiz time. 2005, Kingdom of Heaven. 2006, Underworld. Evolution. Also, James. Yes, James. Michael Sheen. Yes. Oh wow! That was that was impressive. Thank you very much. (laughs) I was still going. Liam Neeson. No. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I thought Orlando Bloom was the 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 one to avoid. (laughs) Yeah, evolution. Like I love those evolution films. (laughs) Underworld evolution. Right, thanks Steve. Awesome. So I'm nailing this still. Yep, we can have a quick break now and come back with what we've been watching. Mid-Morning Matters with Alan Partridge. Music and chat for the Norfolk generation. What we've been watching then, and I believe James has seen a new film at the cinema. and He can kick us off this week. I have. Uh, I've seen a couple, um, but I'm going to save one of those to chat with Owen about. So my my big review this week... um, well, the other one I have, I've just come back from Pain and Gain as well, but that is a main review for us in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to keep my powder dry on that. And I want to talk about Only God Forgives, the new Nicholas Winding Refn film starring Ryan Gosling, Kristen Scott Thomas, and uh, Vith... You'll have to excuse this. Vithathia Pans... Ingra- oh, yeah. Some some bloody Thai bloke. Um, <laughs> Vithathia... Pans Ringarm, there you go. Um, basic, yeah, it's the follow-up to Winding Reference Drive. It debuted at Cannes earlier this year and received boos and people walking out. It's not had a good time from the critics. Um, those of you who don't know about the film, Ryan Gosling plays Julian, uh, who is an expat living in Thailand, makes his living from drugs, but prefers to spend time running his gym. His brother is... a nasty piece of work and is brutally murdered by the father of a young girl that he's raped um, and the vigilante retribution basically is orchestrated by a karaoke singing cop stroke angel of vengeance Julian's mother comes to Thailand played by Kristen Stott Thomas to organise and avenge her 
uh, avenge her son's death, basically, uh, and then her bizarre relationship uh, with with the son that she's got left is one of the central themes of the plot. What I would say is the film is very different in style to Drive. Those who anyone who goes along to watch it and thinks they're going to see another Drive will be disappointed, and I think that might be part of the reason that people haven't got on with it. Uh, it's far more esoteric and I think it shares more of its DNA with a film like Valhalla Rising which is the film that Winding Refn made with Mads Mikkelsen before Drive. Like Valhalla Rising it has a very fractured dreamlike feel. Uh, it just feels and looks far more art house than Drive did as well. Shares Valhalla Rising's use of dreams and uh, foreboding and foreshadowing. Also you has the same electric and brutal violence which was there in Drive but in very short bursts whereas this is a far more violent film again far more like Valhalla Rising what I do like is that Winding Refn is someone who likes to use cinema you know cinema to tell a story in a really old-fashioned way it's almost like parts of it just felt like silent cinema um it's the he's not particularly interested in dialogue before we got to see the film we all found out that gosling has about 17 lines in the film i think it's been up to tw- he's got 21 lines of dialogue in the entire film uh one reference is not in doesn't seem to be particularly interested in dialogue especially for the audience because uh gosling's not got much to say um o- over half the dialogue is subtitled um what he does instead is he just he uses old school tricks like you know light camera movement and framing to show you between the lines to show you what characters are thinking to show you the meaning of a certain scene the symbolism behind things in a lot of ways this film reminds me of some of the work of stanley kubrick particularly uh 2001 uh and the shining uh it's really there's a lot of um dream sequences there's a lot of things where you're not sure if they're real or not there's an element of uh parts of it actually reminded me of ben wheatley's a field in england in the sense that you're just jumping from one bit to another it's not particularly a set narrative that you're following and you're having to do a lot of the work yourself what was that uh, ryan gosling does his does his brilliant staring into the distance work that he did so brilliantly in Drive. I think it does take a lot of effort to be completely blank as an actor, and he is very blank at moments in this. But um, Kristen Scott Thomas is a standout performer, uh, in my opinion, as Julian's Lady Macbeth-esque mother. She's absolutely vile creation. Her response to Julian telling her that his brother raped and killed a 16-year-old girl is, um, she replies, I'm sure he had his reasons. You know, that's the type of woman you're dealing with here there's a certain scene which you people may have heard about or seen a clip of it's a dinner party scene with her julian and the exotic dancer that julian is paying to pretend to be his girlfriend and in a film which contains beheading torture of the eyeballs disembowelment this dinner scene is probably the most shocking and uncomfortable scene of the entire film and Kristen Scott thomas is just chewing up the scenery in in wonderful fashion in short, this is actually one of my films of the year. I, I can understand the public reaction to it, but I don't understand the critical bashing it seems to have had. I think that's just... I I think it's a wonderfully stylish, uh, atmospheric, beautifully shot piece of cinema. It's more challenging than Drive, uh, but I think it's ultimately braver as well. 
the great thing for me, Winding Refn is making films unlike anyone else at the moment, and that has to be a very good thing. So, if you want to be challenged, if you want, if you want to see something that will shock you, will make you feel horribly uncomfortable, um, but yeah, you know, but will challenge you. Go and see Only God Forgives. It's it's a brutal film, but it's unlike anything else that I've seen in the last few years. Did you did you say you liked Drive, James? I liked Drive, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I I I I wasn't Valhalla Rising. I thought had its moments. Yeah. Uh, but it was a bit of a mess. Um, this is like a marriage of Valhalla Rising's more art house esoteric. Um, dreamlike moments, and it, but it's got drives, um, simple singular narrative mm-hmm. that you can relate to. Um, cracking soundtrack in this as well. Uh, I have to say, really, really good Thai soundtrack. Uh, you know, Thai influence soundtrack, which is mixed in with the cop, the samurai sword wielding karaoke singing cop singing um, these Thai love songs, <laughs> which are just fantastic moments, surrounded by police officers just staring at him singing. It, wonderful scenes. Yeah. Um, and then there's these, I think it's Clint Mansell who's done the music again. There's this, it's just so dread-laden. And um, anyone who's a fan of Peep Show, half the soundtrack sounded like super hands um, doing his... Um, the longer the note, the more dread type <laughs> soundtrack stuff. It was like, like that. Um, the, the the soundscape in the film is also fantastic. Some of the sounds of the violin, the use of sound, <coughs> the use of so it's, it's the sound apart from dialogue. Um, Winding reference using every tool available to him to create. He, he's not ashamed to go. This is this is a work of art. This is a work of cinema. You're not going to eat popcorn during this, and and I think that's brilliant. I can see why people won't like it. I, I fucking loved it. I genuinely did. A brilliant film for me. Okay, uh, Owen, you're up next. What have you watched? Uh, well, I've actually watched quite a few films in the cinema for me. Kills um, the priest. Last time. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but I watched. Uh, I went to see Two Guns yesterday. A preview of Two Guns, new film starring Mark Wahlberg and uh, Denzel Washington. Uh, they, they're basically two cops who are both trying to play the other one up to uh, rob a bank so they can accuse them of doing stuff, and then they, it actually turns out that they're both being set up. Um, yeah, so I, brilliant sort of interplay between the two of them. It's really good. Uh, it also um, made me want to watch more Denzel Washington films, so I've also watched American Gangster uh, on Monday before I went to see two guns actually I wanted to watch mm-hmm. that beforehand because I've not really seen much of his work um, which is a shame and I also watched Flight today which that I remember you talking about it James that first 20 minutes yeah brilliant I wish I'd yeah. seen that 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 airplane scene in the cinema I wish I'd seen it in the cinema yeah but I, I it was my birthday on Sunday and I've just had a brand new surround sound system so it was brilliant <laughs> just watching that at home with the surround sound was just absolutely amazing Nice, uh, nice. Yeah, really good. Um, I also watched Django Unchained, which I'm not really going to talk about because we've reviewed it as a main review before, yeah. but I watched that with the Serene Sound on. Blew me away. still just as good as I remembered it being, if not better, perhaps. Out of interest, though, what did you think of the other two hours of flight? <laughs> yeah, um, I thought it was all right. I, it was a little bit too um, by the numbers, if you like, of a sort of 
guy who's got an addiction and oh he's got an estranged family and oh there's this other this other girl that is trying to help actually it's him who needs help and blah 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 it it was okay. it was alright I, I enjoyed it but okay. it, it was it just couldn't live up to that first 20 minutes I don't think no that first 20 minutes is, is genuinely really good yeah. it is yeah but the main review that I want to talk about is um, a horror film which I saw in the cinema, and I remember we've seen a couple of horror films in the cinema over the course of these um, podcasts. We went to see Sinister and mm-hmm. Paranormal Activity 4. Yeah. 4? Yeah, 4 it was, wasn't it, last year? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to mixed reviews from you guys, to <laughs> say the least. I quite enjoyed both of them. But The Conjuring is so much better than both of those. I, I saw it earlier in the month. It was a couple of weeks ago now, so... You've seen it more recently, James, so you might have yeah. to fill in some of these blanks for me. No problem. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it was getting a lot of praise anyway. And the problem with uh, um, films that get a lot of praise, especially horror films, is they very rarely live up to the hype. Some people mm. will just go uh, all out to sort of praise a lot of horror films just to try and, you know, boost the revenue and whatever. But, yeah. honestly, it, it was one of those films where I sat and watched it and I thought, after 20 minutes, I just thought this is they, they've actually put a lot of effort into making this a good film. You know, not just a cash in on a type of, you know, type of film that's popular at the minute. We had Dark Skies earlier in the year, which I thought was all right, but, you know, could have been better. And Insidious, which is by the same director, James Wan, who uh, who created Insidious and the Saw films. He started the Saw films as well. Mm. Um, but he's done a really good job with The Conjuring. I think what starts out is quite a straightforward supernatural thriller set in... Is it in the 70s? Was it the 70s? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, about based, based on a real-life case, apparently, as well. Yeah. They, they really stress that, don't they? They do, yeah. That it's not being yeah. told before, and this is the first yeah. time. And it's, yeah, yeah, very... Um, mm. Not very believable, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think what, what stands out and what sets it apart is the performances. I think Patrick Wilson, who's an actor I've talked about before i've always liked him as an actor um he's brilliant in this as is yeah. uh vera famiga who's just who i i love genuine yeah she's brilliant in uh she's in source code isn't she um and up in the air yeah. i loved her in both those films and she's great in this she is, yeah. yes it's a proper actress's performance isn't it mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's really good and um in fact most of the cast are pretty good but i think those two are the standouts and they they're yeah. what make it um, such a, a special film I think um, it's their relationship yeah. as a husband and wife who are paranormal investigators investigating this case um, they're just they're great characters and, and, and the performances just enhance that I think um, whilst we're sort of talking about um, modern horrors and things have you seen Insidious mm. at all? I haven't, but do you know what? I'm kind of tempted to watch now because, like you, I thought Patrick Wilson was really good in yeah. this. Um, I enjoyed James Wan's direction of this, and he also did the first Final Destination film, which was probably yes. the one. Of, that's one of the great horror films of modern times for me. I, I absolutely love the first Final Destination film. Kind of that's a series of real diminishing returns from in my experience. But um, I do kind of want to watch it uh, now. I do. I probably will watch Insidious now, and I got a trailer for Insidious two before watching The Conjuring. Actually, um, yeah. Well, I was I was uh, going to say part of the the problem that Insidious had was the second half mm. of the film. It's very much a, a, yeah. a film of two halves. First half of Insidious is brilliant. I mean, it's like um, yeah. it, 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 it's similar-ish, I suppose, to 
first half mm. of, um, of of the Conjuring. The second yeah. half is a bit ridiculous and it lets it down a little bit. You've got um, mm. a lot of dream sequences and you're not quite sure what's what's happening and he travels right. through okay. dimensions and it just goes a bit odd. Oh, yeah, I know. Right, yeah. yeah. So Insidious Two, I'm not sure. I wasn't really sure how they were going to do that because. Mm. Basically, if it was going to carry on with more of the same, I wasn't that excited by it. But mm. after watching The Conjuring, I am a bit more confident in James Wan now. I think he's he could actually make into just two a good film, and um, that's yeah. not something I was expecting I, really. Okay, I see The Conjuring Two has all also been green greenlit as well. Is it going to be um, James Wan who's doing it? I I don't know that much right, so okay. far. What I do just want to say about the film is um. What I loved is its attention to period detail, not just in making it feel like they were in the 1970s, which it did really well, but it actually felt like those horror films from the 1970s. Um, What I will say is, uh, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of when I went to see the Australian Pink Floyd show, uh, who, you know, alive, the best Pink Floyd cover band in the world. And none of what it does is particularly new or original. But it just does it so well that you don't really care. Okay, If you go and see The Conjuring, you're not going to see anything. None of the scares in it are particularly new or innovative. Um, the story itself isn't particularly new or innovative. It's, it's like a really, really skilled technician doing a cover version of The Exorcist. And considering some of the trash I've seen in terms of the horror genre over the last few years, actually seeing someone, like you say, take the time and effort to craft a very good story with very good performances that doesn't lose its way during the final third, that just really impressed me so much. It it is genuinely one of the my favourite films I've seen this year now, simply because it was just done so well, and it was really nice to see someone take a genre film and just really put some time and effort and care into making it an engaging film, and most importantly. You cared about the characters because that's where so many horror films fall down. You genuinely felt empathy for all of the characters in this. And yeah, I I really, really enjoyed it in that sense. And and thank you for... I know you recommended it to Steve uh, originally because Steve was looking for a horror film. But I saw that and thought, you know what, I'm going to go and watch it as well. And I'm going to watch horror films. I always feel really sick like I'm on a roller coaster or something. I I genuinely get uncomfortable before the film starts because I don't like feeling too scared. But... This pitch just right for me. It was really well. Well, done. I was going to say the two things you mentioned the performances. The two things I think are mm. crucial to uh, any successful horror film. It's got to be that it's yeah, it's got to have good performances and make you care about the characters. The other thing is it's got to have some scares in it that unnerve you. Mm. And I think there were times yeah. at this, if not feeling scared, but you know the camera work in it is fantastic. There's a scene yeah. where the characters are trying to rush out of the basement, and one guy's just mm-hmm. holding a camera, following them up the stairs. I yeah. just I wanted him to just move quicker, to just get out of yeah. that basement more quickly and push everyone up the yeah. stairs. That's the kind of film it was. It genuinely had that that feeling of unease, and I think it was it was refreshing. It was you know yeah. like I said, might not be the most original type of story. I think it try it does avoid a lot of the cliches. It avoids some of those trapdoors, mm. but it, yeah, it's it's good. It's well made, and I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I hope yeah. other people see it and it does well. I really want it to do well yeah. and people to actually start seeing good horror films in the cinema again. Yeah. Okay, uh, Jerry, what have you watched this week? Okay, really, really brief. Um, watched quite a few this week. Uh, 
think the first one I'll talk about is Pitch Perfect, which obviously everyone knows my opinions on musicals, so I won't need to go into too much detail on that. But it was, it was better than I was expecting, actually. Um, mm. the, my better half really enjoyed it. She she was a big fan of it. I was not as... It, 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 I was expecting to really hate it and be annoyed by it. I wasn't annoyed by it. It was, it was tolerable. It was all right. It's not the best film you're ever going to see. It's probably better than most sort of that of that ilk. Anna Kendrick is is good in it, I thought, and lovely in it. Yeah, well. there's quite a few. If, if that's not too sexy. Trevor Wilson and Anna Kendrick. It, it's very cliched, but you know, it, it was all right. Um, yeah. The Spirit of Forty Five, which is Ken Loach's documentary from this year around the Labour election victory of 1945 and, and all the ideas around that, obviously the creation of the National Health Service, uh, a lot of the nationalisation projects, etc. It's unashamedly political. It's not particularly even-handed in its trails, shall we say. I've seen half of it, yeah. I've seen half of it, and yeah, that's right. But do you know what? Sometimes it doesn't matter, does it? It's, it's, it yeah. it's kind of... you can. I think even if you disagree with Loch's politics... You can respect how much he's really trying to put a cogent argument together with that film. You know, yeah. he's he's assembling the different viewpoints and, and sort of sound bites from a lot of people in order to create an argument and a thesis, which is very interesting to watch from a cinematic perspective. Even if you're some kind of idiot raging Tory and going to foam at the mouth at everything that's in it. Uh, and do you know what? Sometimes having polem having a polemic is good, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Uh, that's what I yeah, mean. someone like my, some of the Michael Moore films, they're hardly even-handed. Uh, Bowling for Columbine is not at all even-handed, um, but at the same time, it's a really compelling argument for a case. And sometimes, I don't necessarily think documentaries need to show both sides; they just need to show one side honestly. Sometimes, and I think that can work. Yeah, I think that's definitely what he's doing. You know, he's not hiding that mm. at all. It's not. It's not being presented as a as an even-handed account or anything. Mm. Very, very interesting. Uh, it'll appeal to you more, I think, if you have certain views on the current political situation. But there's some real good... I think why it's, why it's important to watch is there's some real good parallels from modern Britain and what you can see today and, mm. and certain problems and issues in society and, and the way that history repeats itself. I won't go into it any more than that, but there's very mm. interesting stuff around that. Um, the other film I've seen, uh, which... I believe both James and Owen have seen his side effects. Um, yes. One of the best films of the year for me, I have to say. Yeah, agreed. Completely flew in under the radar. You know, I, it, it wasn't pushed heavily. There wasn't a big lot of marketing. I, I mm-hmm. missed it at the, at the cinema, to be honest. I didn't even realise that it was on until, you know, you two were talking <laughs> about it. You know, it was one of those films. And it's fucking brilliant. It really is. Yeah. It's yeah. really, really yeah. good. I, I'm really, I'm really pleased you liked it as well, and because uh, it was kind of marketed as Soderbergh's last film, although because Behind the Candelabra came afterwards, which was essentially for TV but got a theatrical release here. Um, but yeah, everything that we'd said before, I, 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 I'm looking forward to watching it again. I genuinely am, and yeah, uh, Jude Law, one of his finest performances ever, I think. Best performance of the year for me, I think. I did yeah, like Ryan Gosling in The Place Beyond the Pines, but mm. Jude Law and Side Effects is incredible. He's very, very good. I think, I mean, I don't want to sort of hype it too much, but it, it felt very sort of Hitchcock in the way that it was yeah. a thing and it unraveled as it went on. And this this central thread and, and the, the sort of 
the initial situation slowly unravels and changes yeah. and you start questioning things. And it was very, very good in that regard. It made me quite sad that Soderbergh's hanging up his boots, really. Yeah. Exactly the same. <laughs> it won't last. Yeah. It'll keep it'll keep making stuff. He can't stay away. But no, I totally agree with you, Jerry. It's, uh, yeah, you can definitely get the uh, the Hitchcock influences, maybe some early Polanski influences as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it, it's yeah, really it good because it does play with your mind. The Polanski reference is interesting. It's really reminiscent of Rosemary's Baby in terms of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, 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 the against you and, and you've got nowhere to turn. And you don't know who to believe and you don't know if it's in the character's head. If it's Yeah, that's that really came across to me as well. No, the, genuinely really enjoyed that film so I'm glad you did as well yeah I, I strongly recommend everybody go out and, and get get hold of it and watch it it's genuinely one of the best films of, of the year okay uh, the film I watched then uh, I've watched a few this week um, talk back to one quickly one a bit more detail first of all though HMV five Blu-rays for £30 nothing in it complete waste of time there's loads in mine. I keep having to, I keep having to smack myself in the face and stop myself buying any. I, I looked and I spent probably a good twenty minutes, twenty five minutes looking for all of them, and there was probably only about two that I'd actually want to spend money on. So uh, that's my Bloody that's hell. my HMV bashing done. Uh, <laughs> also, I, but I did pick up Dread. I don't think that's part of the deal, but I picked it up on Blu-ray. Still good, still good, fun, solid action film. Um, good performances, good plot, but it definitely misses out not being viewed on a, either a big screen or in 3D. It's unusual because a lot of films are pretty rubbish in 3D, or the 3D isn't mm. anything to it. But I suppose Dread was made for 3D. So mm. um, yeah, I, uh, I agree. It's one of those films that you need. I think you need to to, to have seen it in 3D. It's, it adds something to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it, look, it it definitely it definitely loses something just watching it on your television even though it's still a good fun action film it, it yeah. definitely loses something um, I'm really good Mr. Cinema to be honest it's one of those films that I really regret not being able to go and see mm. uh, yeah it, yeah. That, no I agree with those two it, the 3D worked in that very rarely do I say that uh, the, other, the other film uh, I watched this week was uh, recommended by Owen who I asked to recommend me a horror film and he recommended me this, which I suppose is kind of a horror film. It's called Detention. Uh, stars nobody that I'd ever heard of. A couple of people I probably <laughs> recognise from various other things in America. But uh, and it's it seems to be a parody of the horror genre, uh, trying to do the same kind of thing, I suppose, as Cabin in the Woods done. But it just falls a bit flat for me. It centres around, um, as you can imagine by the title, a group of teenagers in high school who end up getting put in detention while there's um, a kind of ghostly teenage person killer on the loose um, but it also takes a pop or takes tries to take apart all the various different tropes and angles of various different horror films I just think it falls flat a bit I can see there's a good idea there and I can see what it's trying to do I just think it falls completely flat and doesn't work really at all well I didn't envy you having to explain what the film was about then because it's a bit weird isn't it it is it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't seem to kind of stick to one kind of common theme or it's a bit yeah. all over the place 
Yeah. Because you've got, I, you know, the kind of, you've got kind of, um, you know, teen slasher film in there, you've got ghost story, you've got uh, time travel films and all, you know, paradoxes and all that kind of thing. And I think it misses the mark with all of them, really. You reckon? I don't know, I, I thought... I, I, did you like um, Scott Pilgrim by Edgar Wright? I've, I've not seen it. You've not seen it? To no, me, not, Detention is kind of like Scott Pilgrim if it was uh, a sort of postmodern slasher film. So if you think of something like, like you said, it, it mixes a lot of different things in there. So it's like it's a bit like Scream. Uh, it is a little bit like Cabin in the Woods with all the weird sort of supernatural stuff going on. It, it, it's it's a bit of everything, and you're right. It, it, maybe it does cram too much in there, and may, maybe it misses the mark with some of them. Personally, I thought it was really good. I'm glad you gave it a try. I was, you know, interested to see what you thought of it. But yeah, I mean, from when I watched it, I, I watched the first uh, 40 minutes, and I just thought this is just too too weird. They're not, they're, it's not cohesive. There's no direction to it. And then the the second half of the film. I think it it stops being too weird for its own good, um, and it, it it brings everything together. So after the first time I watched it, I went back and rewatched the first forty minutes of the film, the first sort of thirty five forty minutes of the film, and you kind of pick up a bit more on it then, because um, the second half is basically the knockdown for all the setups that the first half does, and it's all callbacks and it's all kind of inter interlooped. So I think if the stuff that you're not really sure about it is worth re-watching the first half an hour if you get a chance to do it um because it, it, it like i say it, it sort of neatly brings everything together um but yeah I, I, well yeah like i say i'm glad you gave it a go it's i thought you might like it because it's a bit different and it's got lots of time travel stuff in it and it's a bit sci-fi and a bit crazy so yeah well it's a shame you didn't like it but yeah like i say i'm glad you tried it did you yeah, like the I mean, opening I, ten minutes actually? I thought, I, thought it, the open, I thought the opening the opening to the film was really good and I was quite excited about it. Um yeah. from the opening and then I was just kind of it went downhill from there for me really. Yeah. I think what could put a lot of people off is the humour as well. So did you find it funny? Did you think any of it was funny or did you just think it was a bit tedious? Uh it wasn't tedious. I could see there was I can see there was good ideas um behind the film. Yeah, you know, um, and it, and it wasn't unwatchable. I just thought it kind of missed the mark for some reason. I can't quite pinpoint whether it just wasn't my kind of sense of humour, or you know, or if it just wasn't quite on the money. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I think it. I mean, talked about it on the, the World Cinema podcast as well. It's a it's a bit of a hipster film, I think. Um, yeah. And with all the sort of bright graphics in it and it's a bit indie and it's a bit kooky but I still think it's good. The guy who directed it I think um, I'm struggling to remember his name but he does a lot of music videos and I think it is very much like a very long music video. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's all for what we've been watching. Um, we'll have a little break and then we'll be back with our review of Alan Partridge uh, colon Alpha Papa. North Norfolk Digital, North Norfolk's best music mix. So our main review this week is Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Um, Alan Partridge moves from the television to the big screen uh, in a film that was almost called Alan Partridge, Colossal Velocity. 
<laughs> that was a that would have got old chap of steel. That chap was another great song. I actually, I actually prefer those two to Alpha Papa. Yeah, <laughs> chap of steel was a fantastic effort. Um, anyway, I believe we have a clip, James. Yes, here it is. Gotta say, Pat, kids don't make you happy. Some of the unhappiest times of my life have been with my kids. I remember uh, a holiday on on the beach in Prastatin. The kids came over to me and said, Papa, Papa, follow me. And uh, followed them about 200 yards across the sand dunes. When I got there, finally, all they'd done was dug a big hole. (sighs) Miserable. That there was a clip of Alpha Papa, Alan Partridge in action. Yeah. uh, First of all, first reaction to the film. Did we like it? I loved it. I just want to get that in there right now. I fucking love this film. I, I, um, I, I, I didn't manage to see Mid-Morning Matters, but I did manage to get in all of um, I'm Alan Partridge and um, Knowing Me, Knowing You. So yeah. I, I was well well partridged up before seeing <laughs> Alpha Papa. And yet the film was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, oh, good. I'm glad we all agree on that. I, I, I love Alan Partridge as a character. I have done since the first time I came across him during uh, episodes of the Day to Day, where he was the sports reporter um, in Chris Chris Morris's uh, news program. There, this just felt like another natural extension of the character. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel on that. It just. It it was beautifully done in a way because that that sitcom character to film transition is so difficult and so few people get no, it right. I mean, not many people. The in between has done it um, not long ago, a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, and that was pretty they, good actually. They've got four characters to to base mm. a plot around. With Alan Parker, I know you've got little minor characters, Michael and obviously um, mm. Pat, who you know Colmini's character. Um, but yeah. you know, you've basically got one character to base this hour and a half of comedy round, and it yeah. pulls it off. Yeah, it, it goes just big enough to to justify being a film without losing its roots. And sometimes, I think the problem with sitcoms before has been they've either tried to just be a ninety-minute sitcom, which doesn't work as a film, no. um, or they've tried to like go ridiculous and huge and you know that's why they always end up going abroad usually and stuff like do something big and different and this just went no this is alan partridge in his natural environment but with a little bit of extra craziness Mm. um to justify a 90 minute film and yes it's a 90 minute film and great films can be made at 90 minutes as well and that was also an absolute pleasure um because I do remember a few people I spoke to were a little bit worried about the film when they saw the trailer. But I do think, and this film proves it, Alan Partridge isn't a one-liners comedy type character. And I think the trailer made it a little bit difficult to completely sell the benefits of it. Because Alan Partridge is about either the small, the looks he gives, the uh, the very small touches, or there's stuff that's just too long that you can't fit into a trailer. You know, some of my favourite some of my favourite bits of this film was Alan Partridge going up a conversational dark alley, trying to explain, trying to basically dig himself out of holes that he's gotten himself into, and that takes time and it takes 
patience and you've got to sit there and let it wash over you and that doesn't work in a trailer no and, um, and I keep saying about unless you see a trailer for a, a, a anything above a PG in the cinema if you see it on the telly mm. or often even on, yeah. on YouTube it's targeted at a generic general yeah. PG audience so yeah. if it's going to be an adult comedy it's not you're not going to get the right tone of it on a trailer that's no. on the telly no that's right I know that that's another really important thing to remember. You know, it, it's a it was a fifteen film. It's not you know ridiculously rude, but there's enough rudeness in it. Yeah, it's it it was an adult comedy done brilliantly. Um, and I think we have to just you know Steve Coogan. He, yeah, he he can live Alan Partridge when he needs to. He has created such a multi-layered character. It, and it it was just handled handled brilliantly, but like you said, the minor characters as well I thought were were fantastic. Yeah, um, Lynn was it was brilliant in this. Um, Mike Michael stole every scene he was in. Every Michael was not in a huge amount of scenes, but every scene that Michael was in in this film, I was in hysterics, uh, and he kind of stole those. But also, I think the casting of Cole Meany as Pat Farrell was great because. What it did is it gave Steve Coogan a real, it gave Steve Coogan a really experienced actor and a great actor to play off. Uh, and I think Cole Meany is going to be is one of the unsung heroes of this film. Cole Meany is Cole Meany's Pat Farrell is a brilliant, brilliant character as well, and again, brilliantly portrayed. Yeah. Well, like you said, all, all the characters in it, all their parts that they play are all done really well anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's great that they've got the two of, you know, Coogan and um, and just having that Pat character for, for Alan Partridge to play off, not just the two actors. Yeah. They yeah. work as, as a great sort of dynamic duo almost, don't they? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was quite heartwarming at yeah. times. Yeah. It, it was genuine, I was genuinely really happy watching this. It was, you know, there isn't a massive... Partridge doesn't go through some kind of massive character learning curve or anything like that, um, which I think is a good thing as well. You don't want Partridge to change as a human being. I think, um, if anything, the, the, the changes that he has aren't, you know, like you say, dramatic in changing him as a human being, mm. but they're more like bringing him back to how he used to be, you know, making him... Yeah. Because um, I think that there's, there's two distinct partridges really you've got the yeah. the old stuff which was with you know Ianucci, Henry Normal, mm. Steve Coogan who, yeah. who sort of wrote and directed everything up to sort of series two of Iron Man and Partridge yeah and then you've got onwards when um the Gibbons brothers sort of revived the character if you like and they brought mm. these ideas to Coogan who uh well as Coogan said in interviews in the past you know he basically Alan Partridge basically took a holiday and then he comes back mm. and possesses <laughs> Steve Coogan, Partridge yeah. is just this character that uses him as a vessel to <laughs> to, do, yeah. to tell these like stories. And I think the, what the Gibbons brothers have done, Bob Gibbons and Neil Gibbons, have, the twins, I think, have actually put into the characters through Alpha Papa. You've got a lot of callbacks to the way Partridge used to be. So you've got things yeah. about how he used to be when he longed to be on TV, and he, that's all yeah. all he craved was you know give me another series. Have I got another series? You know, that yeah. kind of Alan Partridge, whereas more recently with Mid-Morning Matters and with I, Partridge, the um, the book and stuff, it's yeah. very much now like he's grown older and more reflective on his time as Partridge. Yes. And particularly yeah, comes across right. in, in Alpha Papa, I think. Yeah, and that is great. That's a really good point, actually, how the, the events of Alpha Papa do reawaken 
that uh, egomaniacal yeah. TV presenter. You know, he wants to be that TV presenter again, and that's that. That is really, really nicely handled. He is speech based. Uh, <laughs> I am bullhorn. Um, uh, what I will say as well, um, I just want to say about the soundtrack. Firstly, you yes. can get the soundtrack on iTunes, Spotify, Deezer, most. So, and the soundtrack uh, not only features clips from the film, which are brilliant, um, but I, I can't help thinking I can't be the only one who's enjoying that soundtrack complete, in a completely non-ironic way. <laughs> I'm just loving some of these tunes brought back from the Has 80s. Has anyone seen the uh, Alan Partridge app you can get for your iTunes? No, I haven't. I've just found it because I've got a new laptop. I haven't had time to try it out. Cause I haven't sorted my iTunes app. You can download an app which will basically, in between songs, play bits of Mid Morning Matters, and then if <laughs> That's and nice. then if your song if your song has been kind of mentioned or introduced or whatever on Mid Morning Matters, it will find that and play the little intro or outro that Alan Partridge does for that song. That's that very amazing. nice. I'm doing it right now. It's <laughs> 99p in the iTunes well, store. That's a, that's a bargain. That's shame I'm on Android. Um, some, some, but of, it, it's, some of the comedy, the best bits weren't even central to the plot. I mean, where, where yeah. he's having to broadcast live from the siege, and he just comes out with, "What is your favorite? What is the worst kind of manga? Fish, iron, or war?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's those little bits which are. Yeah, that that's what I mean. That's the bits that really make Partridge for yeah. me is the fact that he can just switch on, and he does, like you say, he does just switch on, and he is he is Partridge, and you know, I, there's just so many little stories and anecdotes that he tells during the course of this film that reduced me to to tears at times. Um, I really think this this film for me is up there with uh, Borat. Spinal Tap and Team America as just comedies that I will I know I will be able to stick on and watch and find funny a hundred times and still find every bit of it funny. Yeah. I'm it, it, it the character itself is just one of the finest comic creations in comedy from the last thirty years in my opinion, and the film delivers on that and that's i that's all I wanted from it um it, again talk, we were talking earlier about the conjuring not doing anything new or original this doesn't do anything new or original we've seen this character loads they don't really evolve the character in a way I'm not sure we'd want it to be evolved in any great way. What they do is they give you ninety minutes of Steve Coogan being brilliant as Alan Partridge. That's exactly what I paid my money to I see. Don't, I don't know if I really want to see this character go on any kind of journey and learn a lesson. No. And have, and no, have a exactly. And, you know, because yeah. the other comedies, you know, going back to the other kind of sitcom to movie that we spoke about earlier, The Inbetweeners, that go, they, all the characters there go on some kind of journey. They learn something about themselves. Yeah. I don't really want that with Partridge. I just want him to be yeah. exactly the same as he ever was. Exactly. Kind of, it works with the... Well, well-meaning, but awkward and a bit stupid. They did a really good job of sort of treading that fine line between saying the outrageous stuff as well without making it, you know, just trying to get shock value. Do you know what I mean? Yes. There, was, there was the odd line, like the, the Sinn Féin line was, was brilliant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Neil Diamond, Diamond the real yeah. the juice. So, yeah, I mean, there were some great lines that made you sort of, you know, to do that weird laugh that you do when you, you're shocked and <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Yeah. But 
they didn't do it in a way of oh let's just let's just say something shocking so that it's shocking because partridge exactly and 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 the butt of the joke is partridge uh, and you know it's never anything that he says like that is not like you say in some comedies there is kind of some ted for example last year yeah you know, that would that was offensive against so many groups of people but ted was never the butt of those jokes that was him getting his prejudices off his plate and it, it was kind of like trying to it was getting you to laugh along with him you're never being encouraged to laugh along with partridge here and that's the, that's a really key but quite subtle difference um is that it's not aiming to shock you it's just saying look some people are like this yeah. Well, if you ever have to listen to BBC Oxford, the radio station, that is basically... Yeah. I mean, that's what they've always done so well with Partridge, is to capture yeah. that local radio presenter kind of character. And they've, To be honest, I would have been happy if it was just a 90-minute long film of him in the, the uh, you yeah. know, radio studio, just yeah. doing a radio show. That would have just... Yeah. Made, I would have been happy with that, but the fact they've they've got this actual story to it as well... Which is really, yeah. you know, well t- a well-told story. It's not, like you said, not particularly original. It's just a siege. <laughs> but it, yeah. it, it's the way it's it sort of crafted around Alan Partridge, which makes it so yeah. good. Um, but you've, but you've, got, you've got to find um, a kind of perilous situation that's realistic. You can't really, with yeah. someone something like Partridge, you can't mm. throw zombies or aliens at the situation because it's just too yeah. far removed from him. You've got to kind of think what can... What kind of dangerous situation can you put him in? And, and Siege is probably one of the only ones that would work. Yeah, and and he responds to it as Alan Partridge would as well. That's that's the thing. He stays completely true to his character the entire time. You you watch that and go, yeah, I believe Alan Partridge would do this in this situation. Um, but similarly as well, I think they've they've done it so that people who aren't normally Partridge fans can still see the film. Uh, can still go and see a British comedy action film. Yeah, exactly. It works on a whole number of levels there. Yeah. Um, I can't praise it enough, and I can't stop playing uh, Roach for yeah. Toy either, yeah. and just playing along to that in my car at the moment. It's, yeah, I can't. There's, there's no fog. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, I think it's it's going to be one of those films which is destined to be quoted, and um, what because. And and people will just you know copy it as much as they can. For example, I've I've been to a I've been to a Halloween party dressed as an Alan Partridge zombie. <laughs> um, we, I, I'll see if I can find pictures. Uh, I'll stick them up uh, as an accompaniment to this. I, I even had um, a biscuit salad oh, to my chin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's properly done. Nail. Yeah, tongues and tip screws for my nails. Yeah, I took I had a shower curtain and everything. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, yeah, I did it really. I even found the flex from a kettle. Brilliant. Pro, you know, real attention to detail there. Um, but what I can, I can just imagine in the next in the next year, people going, uh, you know, dressed uh, with a, a a head holster, going to parties with head holsters and yeah. stuff. You know, there, there's this will seep into our consciousness. And then people get really annoyed because people keep quoting it and yeah. stuff like that. But you know what? That's what happens with things that are really good. Uh, it'll get a bit annoying, but but just go and watch the original film. I, I genuinely loved it. It's, it. And the other thing is as well, it, we've we've had some really good comedies. Last year was such a terrible year for comedy. Um, this to me is the crowning moment 
in a year of some decent comedy. We finally, I thought This Is The End was really good. I really enjoyed This Is The End. I love The World's End. And we've got Anchorman 2 coming up towards the end of the year. And if that doesn't let us down... No, I mean, 21 over was, was nothing new, but it was, it was a solid, yeah. reasonable comedy as well. Yeah, you're, you're, still, you're still defending that choice of your life. <laughs> none, of us have, none of the rest of us have seen it yet to corroborate your story that it's actually not too bad. It's not too bad, and it, it's, got, <laughs> it's got enough laughs in it to, to warrant it being not written off as, as bad. Okay. But it's not, it's okay. not great. But, you know, the other, this is the end, the world's end, Alpha Papa, good year for comedy. Uh, yeah, definitely. Or a good liked, summer comedy. I liked Sightseers last year. Sightseers was a great, great yes. comedy. But I think Alpha yeah. Papa was probably my favourite. Um, I was going to say my favourite. Well, I did say on Twitter it's my favourite British comedy since the, um, In the Loop. And then I sort of corrected yeah. myself. Well, I actually said the thick of it. And but then I corrected myself because I don't. Uh, it's you could take the British bit out of there. It's probably the best comedy film I've seen since In the Loop. Um, Hot Fuzz yeah. was great. Shaun of the Dead was great. In the Loop was great, but it's been a while since we've had, you know, a, a number of those sort of films released within a short span of each other that have been really yeah. funny. So I, I, hope, no. I hope with Alpha Papa, it sort of, you know, provokes other people into making better TV to film comedies. You know, Keith Lemon yeah. came out last or just, year. Or just better comedies, full stop. You know, yeah. the, what I loved is the fact that it was a British comedy... That wasn't that had there was no romance. So it's well, there you know there's a touch of it in there kind of thing. But it wasn't a it was a British film that wasn't a romantic comedy, but also wasn't a genre piece mm. either. It wasn't like a, a, a horror comedy or something. It was just let's just make a funny British film. We don't seem to do that very. We used to do it loads, yeah. and we we've kind of stopped that. And maybe maybe this will encourage people to pick up that baton. It was number one at the UK box office this week, which is fantastic it, news. I went on the um, first day on the Wednesday. We went to yeah. the Facts, which is the independent kind of cinema in Liverpool. Mm. Absolutely packed out to the gills. Some of the seats were even double booked. You know, it yeah. was completely full. It was really good to see because you know you kind of you're wondering. You don't realise quite how many people love Alan Partridge as much as you do. It was great. we were in yeah. an absolutely packed cinema. Really nice to see you getting some support. That also, I pick you up by the way. Um, Four Lions. You forgot about Four Lions. Four Lions, yeah. Four Lions, oh, of course, yeah. Although I think this was funnier this, than this, Four this Lions. This is probably the most high-quality, gag-heavy film. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was as funny as, like, the classic... Um, I say some people disagree with me on these being classics, but when Will Ferrell, Ben Stiller, that group went through a period... Yeah. Uh, kind of, 2004. Sort of yeah. Zoolander and Anchorman. And Zoolander, I, Anchorman, Dodgeball I old really school. enjoyed as well. Old school. Yeah, it, would, it was, there was a period then where there was some great films coming out of that group in America. This is up there with that. And well, like I said, I, this, for me, this is up there with Borat. This is up there with um, This Is Spinal Tap. I, I genuinely, I, it might be a, you know, a bit of hyperbole and I have only just seen it. I need to let time, need to let it bed in, but... It, I genuinely just fell about the floor laughing watching it, and the whole cinema did as well. And that's just brilliant fun. I mean, a week a week out from it now, I am well, almost a week out from watching it. It was very very good. I I don't rate it as highly as I like Four Lions, but I fucking love Four Lions. Um, <laughs> but I I don't think it was it was amazing out of this world, the best film ever. 
However, in terms of my expectations going into it, because I was really worried it was going to be shit and it was going to ruin Alan Partridge for me, I was really, really pleased. You know, I, I think the, the the worst thing about it for me going into it was thinking, oh God, I hope it's not terrible because Alan Partridge yeah. and oh God, all those years of watching it and, and what if it's shit? What if I come out of it and it really turns me off? What if it's not funny? What if it's Partridge not being funny? And there was a real sense of relief for me when it started being funny, like fairly early on. So I was thinking, yeah. oh shit, this, if, if this is bad, it's, it's going to be really bad. It had the Definitely potential because to be really bad as well. What I will say is um, the recent Sky specials that were on, mm-hmm. not Mid Morning Matters, but the Welcome to the Places of My Life, I, I wasn't a fan of that. You wasn't? And that, oh, really? No. Uh, I I stopped watching halfway through Welcome to the Place of My Life. I just didn't get on with it at all. I really like Mid Morning Matters, though. But that so I even though I had absolute faith in the fact that Armando Iannucci was on board and Coogan was on board and Peter Bainham was on board as well as a co-writer, even though I had complete faith, I there I still had that slight doubt because I didn't really like the Sky Specials Um, and. The second of the live videos that I've seen of Coogan, again, it had its moments. And I was like, has he got enough ideas for this? Clearly, they did. They had plenty of ideas. And I think the key was, the best thing for me about Partridge is how he plays off everyone else. And they they made... He was rarely on his own in this. Um, You know, he was always playing off someone else, and that's why it worked for me. Uh, Well, it's interesting. I I really liked... um... I, I like the Sky specials. I think I've liked everything mm. since he's been since he's come back actually. Mm. Uh, but I've always been I've always been a massive fan of Coogan and and yeah. Partridge anyway. But um, I think it's it's mostly the success is down to the the, Gibbon, the Gibbons brothers. I think what they've they've yeah. done with the writing has sort of enhanced the character really. So I'm um, I've got I had I, I, I was agreeing with Jerry I think when saying that the trailers didn't look great. I didn't think I wasn't mm. as worried as, as it made Jerry. Um, because I had faith in in the writing in it, and I just I was, yeah. I was sort of pleased that it, I could go around and say to people, "I told you so." I knew it would be good, and um, I felt quite smug about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see where they go from here with the character. I don't know quite where they can they can move to next because they've covered everything. I mean, he's had a. I'm assuming Coogan's just going to want to take some time away from him, and I wouldn't blame him one bit. Yeah, I hope it's not another nine-year break. I, you know, no. I don't blame him if he if he does want to take some time away from it. But I just, um, I just want more. I just want to. I suspect yeah. it will be as well because I think Coogan took that break to try and establish himself as someone other than Alan Partridge. You know, doing he did a fair yeah. few films. He was turning up doing a bit more variety in his roles, and it, you know, with the best one in the world, it didn't really work out for him, did it? So, you know, I think. I think that's a little bit. I, he's not. He's not established himself as the sort of you know as a high level movie comedy actor. You know, he, he he has parts, but he's not leading films as a comedy actor. No, which I think was his aim in terms. Of, he did you know, sleep. He did sleep with Courtney Love, though. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, that was John yeah. on your list there. I suspect. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's he's he. I think he was really making an effort to become. You know, like a Will Ferrell and still yeah. a, you know, be a, a British well. Hollywood comedy star. Yeah, yeah. no, no. I, so I, this I think... is his way of doing that. And I think if that's his goal, and I think he does want to be successful, he doesn't just want to be Alan Partridge, but I think this is a way for him to really sort of 
keep himself at a really high level and maybe work off the back of one or two really high-profile partridge things and, and get some some more rounded stuff off the back of that. But I think he's probably realising that partridge is the best thing he's done and it, and it's it's absolutely loved by the British public. So yeah. he, he's gonna, he, he can't take nine years out again, surely, because he's not got that, that itch to scratch either. Okay, so to uh, round off then this review, what is everyone's favourite line or scene quickly? James, you can kick us off. Okay, um, my, my, do you know what? My, uh, the, the last, uh, the last set piece actually, um, quite, it got to me quite a little bit. It was really played emotionally, but with some brilliant scene stealing from a minor character. Uh, and it was it was done really unsentimentally as well. So I'm going to say it it wasn't a film that tailed off at the end. To me, the ending was a really really great part of this film. So I'm going to, but I don't want to say any more about the ending. I'm just going to say the ending really worked for me. Owen, there's so many to choose from. I quite like the knowing me, knowing you, um, the Christmas special, uh, <laughs> where he's got the turkey on his hand and punches the guy in the face. Yes. That's brilliant, but it's got to be something like, you know, Dan, 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 something that's just so iconic for the character. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go for the Dan moment, I think. Sorry, Steve, I've just realised, I completely misunderstood what you were saying, I thought you meant it was the film. Let's see, I'm I, did mean, I did mean the film. You did? Oh, oh I'm sorry, <laughs> I thought, uh, um, I... Because I was going to say Alan Partridge describing the opening credits of um, the Spy Love. That is definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. Clang a lang a lang a lang a lang a lang. Okay, well if it's from the movie, I don't know. I can't really talk about it without spoiling it. I'll, I'll just say cobbler, cobblers, cobbler, clobber, wasn't it? Clobber, sorry, yeah. Oh, oh uh, um. Jason Argonaut as well. <laughs> That's a nice touch. You just said Jason Argonaut. Uh, yeah. Jerry? Um, uh, either the sunglasses gag, which I fucking loved, um, yeah. or just when he was driving his car in, singing along, because that, that just oh. defined Partridge. Rochford. Cuddly Toy. Um, do you know what? I think we're going to play out with Cuddly Toy from this podcast this week. <laughs> Such a tune. Such a tune. I, I think mine was either the whole boardroom scene. Or, yeah, nicely done. Classic Coogan. Or just, just one line of fake the police. <laughs> <laughs> I did like it. Oh. Uh, I, I like Michael's let himself down. That that really... One of the best bits that was just classic... Partridge, I think, which is just so underplayed and just partly what made it so funny was when the guys are just chatting about Godfather and he just walks over and interrupts them. <laughs> so what I really, what I really like is the camera work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you get a lot of people are surprised when I say it. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant Partridge. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's all for, uh, for Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa but it comes widely recommended by the podcast. So go and see it if you haven't. If you have seen it, join us somewhere on Twitter or something and tell us what you've thought. Um, we've got some recommendations for you before we go, though, so stay with us for a little bit longer. Shape the way you want it to be. So our recommendations for next week, as we always do, uh, I'm going to start off films on TV. 
you know how ITV are terrible? Uh, everything, yeah. yeah. Well, this just kind of um, personifies their terrible and terribleness. ITV One at three o'clock in the morning on Thursday. Who's going to watch it? Escape to Victory. Why have they put it on at that time? <laughs> I've got it on DVD and I'm still furious about that decision. Yeah. Um, that is shocking. But, but I'm going to recommend something on ITV. Last time I recommended something, it was a World War II film, Kelly's Heroes. I've got another World War II film for you now. This one's a classic. ITV4, Friday night uh, at uh, 9 o'clock, uh, 8 o'clock, sorry, is Where Eagles Dare. Whoa, that's years since I've seen that. Starring Clint Eastwood, Richard Burton, um, as they are double agents, uh, not double agents, they're spies who go behind enemy lines and find double agents and triple agents and all kinds of stuff. Brilliant World War II film, has has to be seen. Lovely stuff. 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, if if you don't trust my judgment, you'll trust theirs. Okay. Uh, James, <laughs> your film is... Okay, um, out on DVD this week is one of my favourite films of the year and also one of the absolute worst films of the year. So, um, whatever you do, do not be tempted to see Spring Breakers. It's fucking terrible. It's a horrible film. Uh, we watched it up at uh, Glasgow. So, instead, The Place Beyond the Pines is out on DVD and Blu-ray this week. Uh me and Owen have spoken about this film before. Uh, we even mentioned it earlier on today. But Place Beyond the Pines, Ryan Gosling, Bradley Cooper, brilliant, brilliant film. Very ambitious, kind of flawed in many ways, but I really, really enjoyed it. I know Owen enjoyed it a lot, and it's available on DVD this week. Yeah, I think the podcast that was lost to the mists of time, uh, I mentioned mm-hmm. on that, I, I watched it as well. Oh, yeah. I think it was that one. It might be that yeah. far back. I don't know. Anyway, um, I think that is a film that definitely works in the first two-thirds for me. Falls yeah. down badly in the last third. I'm kind of with you. I know Owen disagrees with me, but I, I kind of respect the fact that they went for it with that it final bit. That film. final bit was you could see it as soon as, you, as soon as it was introduced. You thought, right, know what's going to happen now. That's the end of that mystery. It was all predictable. Uh, I don't think it was played as a mystery. But, no, I understand. I know, I know what you're talking about, but I think just from the, the it's a very personal story to the director. I think about sort of fathers yeah. and sons and stuff. I won't go into it. There's yeah. interviews with him out there, yeah. but I can see why people didn't like I, it. But I, 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 did. I, I really liked it. Yeah, I know. I, I see why he did it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, uh, Owen, what are you recommending us? Um, I'm going against type this week. I normally, you know hate westerns and I'm complaining about them all the time but I'm picking Rio Bravo um, from nice. 1959 with uh, John Wayne and Dean Martin's in it it's a Howard Hawks western um, I, I watched it this week I've sort of had a, a kind of epiphany I think I actually like John Wayne I don't know when this started to happen or how it's happened but yeah I, I quite like John Wayne films at the minute and uh, it's on yeah. by the USA at 5 past 6 on Saturday so yeah Worth a watch. Nice. Okay, and Jerry? There's quite a lot of good films on this week. LA Confidential's on. Um, I'm trying to think what else is, is on this week. I believe um, Dog Soldiers is on, which is a really good film mm-hmm. as well. I'm sure, Robin. Yeah. Raging Bull's on. But of all those films, there is only one 
that rises above them. And that is film four, five past five. If you knock off work very early, you might catch it. If not, say your thing to record. The third man is on. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Which day is that? Day is on Friday. Friday, five past five. five. So they show third man a lot, yeah. and it's worth watching every time. They're having a, they're having a good. Well, actually, you disagree because five hundred days of summer is on after it. So you can have yourself a nice little evening, or if you're Jamie, you can be miserable because <laughs> you don't like life. And then. <laughs> The wonders of Die Four, so Film Four having having a good man evening there. Yeah, quirky. Fuckers. <laughs> okay. Uh, you you don't like the before sunset film. I uh, see this. There's there's definitely. I think I think you can categorise people on which of those romantic stories they like, and I'd rather be on my side. Well. <laughs> Okay, so that's all for this week. Next week we're reviewing Kick-Ass 2 as our main review. Yeah. Um, so thanks to everyone who's contributed this week, uh, including myself, James, Jerry and Owen, and Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com for the music at the start. Um, probably not the end this week, though, as um, I think we're going with something different. Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, we'll jo- join us next week for Kick-Ass 2 and more film chat. Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCall. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at, at failedcritics.